Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by Audible, helping you become a better you, and BitGuild.io, redefining the relationship between players and developers by facilitating full and true ownership of in-game assets. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and today I welcome back Josh Frazier of Origin Protocol. Josh and I had a little bit of unfinished business about P2P networks, taking out the middleman, taking out Uber and Airbnb, and just doing it on a smart contract. Listen to our debate. But before we get into that debate, please understand there might be language or topics talked about that are sensitive. I'll put a little disclaimer in there during the conversation so you can hear it. But just to let you know that there might be some language and some content that that might ruffle some feathers. So proceed at your own will. But before we go into the conversation, Crypto101podcast.com got a brand new website. I hope it's live by the time you hear it. And it's a lot easier, a lot less heavy. Check it out. And I want to say thank you to June. June was a listener that reached out and said, hey, I'll do your website for you. And I was like, wow. And she did. So thank you very much, June, for the month or more of having put up with me and nitpicking about font size and branding. So thank you, June. And just a reminder to everybody and all the listeners out there that if you have any music that you want to send in to feature on the show, please send it in. If you want to write a blog, if you want to join Crypto 101 and help us out in any way or in any capacity, send me an email. We'll see what we can do because Crypto 101 is community-based. It started out community. We're still a community. Also, back to the website, click on this, support us, become a Patreon. The Patreon are the backbone of our community. Join our Facebook group, send us an email, send us comments, send us questions. Everything is okay. And don't forget to check out ICO 101 with Aaron Paul. He's dropping it like it's hot, calling out ICOs and also praising the ICOs that are doing a good job. So good job to Aaron Paul over at ICO 101. And without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Josh Frazier of Origin Protocol. We'll see you after the show. Josh Fraser of Origin Protocol, welcome back to Crypto 101. Hey, thanks for having me, Matthew. Last time we were talking, we were speaking with me, you, and Elise on ICO 101, and we were left with a question. And I think I was left with a little bit of skepticism. And the skepticism is that I am not convinced that a P2P sharing economy on the blockchain is really the way to go. And I guess you're going to come back and try to convince me otherwise. <laughs> I, I sure hope so. <laughs> As an intro for the everybody that's listening, we really don't know how this conversation is going to go. We, we've talked about this for over a month, and we've been saying talking about freedom of speech. We've been talking about the middleman, traveling, Uber, Airbnb, and how we're, this can all fit on the blockchain. Let's just see what comes out of this conversation. And just a little warning for everybody. We will be talking about race. We might be talking about religion. We might be talking about all kinds of sensitive topics. So... Please don't judge our character. Don't judge our beliefs based off of this conversation. We are just trying to understand how the P2P economies might work. And these conversations have to happen. So, Josh, is that about accurate? Yeah, I think we got into a lot of great 
stuff last time we chatted delved into a lot of thorny issues and a lot of them come down to this idea of free speech and I, I believe some of your listeners even wrote in and were upset about me defending the rights of you know the Ku Klux Klan and racist and that stuff and so you know your listeners wrote in and and were convinced that you had a racist on the show and were upset about that <laughs> that is true uh, <laughs> I mean not that you're, so that to, you're a racist that they were convinced that you're a racist <laughs> convinced that I'm a racist and so to, I, you know I want to start off by apologizing to the rapists the murderers the pedophiles and all these people that I forgot to use as alternative examples uh, because no <laughs> Because human equality is, is really one of my, my core values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I violently disagree with the ideology of neo-Nazis and other white supremacists. But I will say the only sort of valuable contribution that they make to society is as a canary to the status on how society is doing when it comes to free speech and civil liberties. Mm-hmm. And so everyone agrees with free speech when you're saying things that they like. Right. And you're saying things that they agree with. Right. And the strength of your convictions are only really tested at the extremes. Right. You know, it's like that famous quote from uh, that French writer. It was like, I don't agree with, you know, what you have to say, but I'll defend to your death your right to say it. Right. Uh, and that's really what, you know, I think a, a great example of that is like the American Civil Liberties Union, you know, where they've gone to court and actually defended Nazis and they've defended Ku Klux Klan. And I think that's like, that's where I was coming from. Like freedom of speech is such a fundamental thing to understand. And it's really, really important for people in the blockchain space to understand as well. Cool. So then let's go down that road then. Freedom of speech and how that pertains to a P2P business or a share economy on the blockchain. And where does the freedom of speech come in? So a lot of it was around questions of, is it right for Uber to ban someone from their service for life for sending out a racist tweet. Mm-hmm. And so this is obviously a, this is an issue of free speech. Someone says something against a certain group and Uber came in as a centralized authority and banned that customer you know, from their service and I think lifted as well. Okay. And so that, you know, that is a, a new level of censorship that we haven't really seen before. We haven't had, you know, taxis wouldn't do that to you, for example. If you stayed in a hotel, a hotel wouldn't kick you out for something that you've posted online, but Airbnb will, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think when we think about designing new marketplaces and peer-to-peer marketplaces, we have to think through these issues on how we're going to address them and what are the right rules to set around free speech and when people say stuff you don't like, what are the right rules for those marketplaces to be governed by. Right on, man. You know, I, I agree with that. The freedom of speech is very important for an individual to be able to say what they want to say, you know, because that's part of being a human. That's part of being alive, having liberty, having thoughts, exploring mm-hmm. ideas, just exploring in general. But just because you have this freedom of speech doesn't mean you're free from consequences. And one of the consequences that we saw here were that Uber does not want racist tweets to be associated with their platform. I also think this is a part of protection for the client. I mean, if you are that able to be a uber driver to deal with all kinds of races and and you know religions or what have you yet you're still bold enough to start tweeting these controversial ideas then you don't know that these people that are getting into these this uber or lyft are protected now if he didn't say anything then you know that he has at least a restraint and ideas to enough to say hey he's on my car i'm gonna treat him with respect until he's out of my car and then i can have my own opinions but that's not the case here 
Yeah, so I think, you know, so what you're talking about is what this category of what some people like to call hate speech, where the speech is targeted at a particular group of people. And I, I guess, there's, you know, there's a few questions we have to ask ourselves here. First question is, are there some ideas that are so dangerous that they should never be allowed to be spoken? Hmm. And if you are sure of your, you know, that your side is right, maybe you should be confident enough you'll be vindicated by history and that you can trust that the arguments on the other side will be able to weather the storm of, of opposition. The second question would be, what's more dangerous for society? Is it the open racist or the closet racist? Mm-hmm. Is it the Nazi marching on the street or a Nazi in hiding? Right. Is it the open pedophile or the secret pedophile? Now, all of this stuff is uncomfortable. It's very upsetting. But then I would argue it's far more dangerous when we start squashing free speech. And what happens is that's going to start going underground. And it's far more dangerous when you have people who are carrying out their hatred in private. Because those thoughts and ideologies aren't going away. It's just a matter of whether it's going to be out in the open where everyone can see and can take sort of preventative measures to avoid it. And then, you know, sort of a really hairy question here is who gets to define these rules on what counts as hate speech, right? Is it Uber that should be the arbiters of what hate speech is? Should that be up to the government? Do we want the government defining hate speech? And certainly other countries around the world have taken that position. But then, of course, there's risks around that, right? Today, that would be Donald Trump who gets to make the rules on what counts as hate speech. And tomorrow it could be someone way worse. And so I think, you know, there's a, there's a great quote from Naval Ravikant, and he says, give your worst political enemy the power to decide what is hate speech and what is disinformation, and then you'll realize that free speech isn't something we should ever compromise on. Where I'm coming from around all this stuff is we have to be free speech absolutists. Obviously, everyone is listening to this podcast is, you know, into blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And this is one of those issues that we're going to have to face and really have strong positions on going forward. And, and the reason for that is that free speech in the United States and a lot of other countries around the world is protected. But money is controlled. The government thinks that they should have controls on money and be able to decide who you can and can't send money to. But Bitcoin is about this realization that code is speech and money is just code. And so money is speech. And so we have this real challenge coming. And that is society is used to free speech, but controlled money. But what happens when money becomes speech? And so, so one of two things is going to happen. Either money is going to become less controlled or we're going to see free speech come under massive attack. And I think that's what we're already seeing with governments when they're coming after cryptocurrency and trying to regulate it and control it. We've got this question of, are we going to let them control free speech? That is why everyone who's listening to this podcast should be a free speech absolutist, because this is why this is so important. Right. I'm going to address a couple of things that you mentioned here. First, you said, would you rather have a racist have free speech and is open or is it closed? Well, first, I, I, don't th- I think racist speech, no matter if it's open or closed, is wrong. So it doesn't matter if they're out or in. It's something that is a ideology that somehow got into this person that we really have to attack it from a different standpoint. But which one is better? It's, of course, the open, because then you have the opportunity to see this person for what they are and stop them from influencing and interacting with people on a maybe neutral ground. An Uber car, no matter if it's your car or not your car, it is 
like Switzerland. It is neutral. <laughs> you get in there with no race, no religion, no you are going from point A to point B. Now, when the Uber is already branded with a certain ideology or what have you, and it pulls up to your door, and no matter if that's in a tweet or in a, in, a, in a review, or if it's hanging from their mirror in a Confederate flag or a swastika, it mm -hmm. is a brand that they have associated with themselves. Now, the consequences for this are a couple of things. Now, if it's a P2P without a middleman, this person is going to look at the car and go, maybe I'm not going to get into that car. Okay, fine. That's a personal choice. Now, what if you are getting into that car and not knowing if it is, but the company might know. Maybe if there's no company, there's no middle ground, there's no Uber, there's no Airbnb. And they nobody's to say, hey, I saw this racist tweet. I saw these actions. I saw them at a, a Klan rally. Is it a meeting or a rally or get together, social? I don't know what they what they do. I there. don't. I, I don't attend. Just for just for record. <laughs> I, don't, <yeah. laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what they're, what they're called. A social club. I don't know. But these are checks and balances to protect people. This is not stopping free speech. From when Uber says, "Hey, you cannot work for our company or drive a company under our brand, under our flag, and have these ideas." This is not stopping free speech. This is saying you can do whatever you want, just not with me. And it's like, you know, if you had a husband or a wife or a family member that says says these whatever that is against you as well or free speech, it's like, hey, that's great. Brother, you can say whatever you want, like whatever people or dislike whatever people you want. I'm just not talking to you. And I think that's what we're having here. And I think that free speech is more protected now than ever than than saying it's being being controlled by companies and we're trampling on it. I don't think so. I think that what we have now is more consequences that are set up along the way of this free speech. And now people are going to have to make actual conscious choices of what they're going to put out. If you're on Twitter and you're tweeting hate speech, racist speech, anti-LGBTQ speech, you have now a, an audience that is going to push back. And that wasn't, that's not what it isn't like before. Before you were in your echo chamber, you can go to your neighbor's house and say, yeah, I hate all these black people. I hate all these Jews or what have you. And then the neighbor, because they're your friends, are going to say, yeah, so cool. You have your little little closed economy, your closed ideology there. And now you have, you're opening yourself, we're opening ourselves up to the masses. So you have much more rights to stay and you can get that word out to way more people. But the blowback is going to be a lot bigger. So you better be conscious of what you're saying. So really, really quick, that was my statement on what you just said. However, let's preface this a little bit more. We are talking about a P2P economy where I can be an Uber or Airbnb and they can build it on the blockchain on origin protocol without the middleman. And we can say, make an Airbnb, let's call it origin B&B &B, sure. on, on the origin protocol. And it connects people to people without that middle person, right? Right. So the problem that we were having is without the checks and balances of that middle person, who is doing the arbitration? Who is going into these issues when it comes to speech issues, when it comes to shit, traveling outside of the country issues? <laughs> Convince me why this is a good idea. And if we remember last time we were talking, we were talking about people will come in with third-party solutions, plugins or what have you, the legal plugin. This, and you know what that ends up being? I mean, he ends up being a middleman. So convince me that origin protocol or the P2P economy, the sharing economy without the middleman is the solution. If people are going to have to make third-party solutions anyway for smart contract arbitration or translation services or exchange services or what have you, why is this the solution? Yeah. So uh, I think first I'll say Twitter is a good case study around the challenges of this stuff, right? Because they've been sort of grappling with the thorny issues around free speech a lot more than the sharing economy marketplaces have. And so, you know, they're constantly in this tough position of being arbitrators of 
what isn't what isn't allowed on their platform and they can't win right i feel bad for them right if they take a tweet down the free speech people won't leave them alone and if they don't take it down they get even more hate mail from people saying i can't believe it you let this stay up and they try they try really really hard right <laughs> twitter Right. Uh, tries to be, you know, fight a good fight for free speech. Then they start, you know, okay, fine, we'll make an exception. We'll take that. Okay, this is this is really terrible. We're going to take that down. Once you give in once, it's, it's sort of game over, right? Because, you know, people will just constantly be asking for you to take stuff down. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, right, should they create this? To, you know, Twitter is a good example that everyone understands, right? But, like, what would a properly designed Twitter look like? Right. Would you just let anything go and say, well, okay, we all, you know, believe in free speech. Let's just let it go. We'd all say that would be a a terrible idea and would would turn out to be a, a, there's got to be some method of deciding which content gets to live and what doesn't. And so a properly designed Twitter wouldn't have anyone at headquarters trying to decide and make those decisions. Right. It would be some sort of community driven voting system where the community gets to decide and or, you know, some other incentive mechanism that would have those decisions being made. What would that that look like? Because right now it's sounding like if there's a voting system or the community, it sounds like tyranny of the majority. So I think blockchain actually solves this problem in in an interesting way, right? Um, Blockchain solves this problem in humanity on how do we organize networks. And it's all about making individual sovereign instead of some king or CEO or some corporate entity. And so I, I think Bitcoin's a good starting point in how we should think about this stuff because it taught us about the power of incentives. And that is, you know, how does Bitcoin stop thieves? You, know, you can steal a Bitcoin, right? I can send you some Bitcoin and then I have enough computing power. You know, maybe I make a purchase and then I actually reverse the transaction. But how does Bitcoin stop thieves? Well, we just make it more expensive to steal that Bitcoin back than for me to just mine a new Bitcoin, right? It's always just cheaper for me to spend all that computing power making a new Bitcoin. And that economic incentive helps people behave. And so then the question is, how do we set up an economic system so that bad actors on the network know that their bad behavior is going to cost them? Whether that is some sort of staking mechanism where there's tokens are locked up in some smart contract that they can, you know, that can be forfeited if a community votes that they're bad actors, or it can be through future businesses lost by people who don't want to associate with you. Right. And so a lot of, uh, you know, I think this is really the, the solution to the challenges we're talking to about Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and, and banning people. It's all about transparency and blockchain. Oh. Everything is public by default. So we actually have more visibility into bad actors than we do in current systems, mm-hmm. right? In fact, in the early days of Airbnb, they had these instances of people coming up and setting up meth labs in Airbnbs, right? <laughs> Come in, they use stolen credit cards, they set up a meth lab in the bathroom, completely destroy the house, right? And what did Airbnb do? They said, if word of this gets out, it's going to ruin us. So they came in with a team of lawyers, got them, you know, gave the people a huge check, made them sign an, in, you know, an NDA that we would never talk about it, and they covered it all up. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's what, you know, that's the other side of this of like, if these companies sometimes don't want the bad press to get out, right? If someone's raped in the back of an Uber, you know, my guess is Uber probably is going to fight as hard as they can to cover up that story versus being open and transparent about it. So we get a huge benefit from having this transparency that the blockchain gives us. And there's a lot of people who are going to be able to see that, you know, hey, I got into this car. But oh, by the way, there's a SWAT skill in the window. And, you know, that bad actor is going to lose a lot of business because that interaction has been recorded on the public blockchain. Everyone can see it. And there's a lot of people who are, who are never going to get in that car and won't do business with them. So the examples you gave, in my opinion, are outliers. It's a it's a bad actor that made a meth lab in the Airbnp or an unfortunate situation that happened in the back of an Uber. Those are things that you don't need transparency for. You should not promote that as an Airbnb. Why would Airbnb, why would I even as a customer want to be tarnished by the idea that this is commonplace? Also, why would you want to perpetuate that idea and give good ideas to people? Hey, you know what? If I want to have a meth lab, I just make an Airbnb. It could be an outlying situation with some clever individual said, I'm going to have a meth lab. And the company to protect itself, protect its customers, protect society made the decision to say, look, Let's be honest, let's be let's be honest. They were protecting their own interests and no one else, right? Like Airbnb was looking out for themselves and not being open to their customers about the risks of staying in Airbnbs. Now, I'm I'm not going to say that this is common. I think people, largely due to the media, have a sense that you know the world's a much more dangerous, risky place than it actually is. But they certainly weren't hiding this for the best interests of their customers. They were doing it for their own selfish interests as a business. And that's okay. And, that's okay. and this, is, this is what we're talking about with even with even Bitcoin and, and blockchain. You know what? We're all in, the, in here for our own selfish interests. If, if it's investing to get the Lambos on the moon, if it's mining Bitcoin to get those extra Bitcoin. Hey guys, TiVo here with a quick ad break to tell you that today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some of the much-needed clarity in the finance world thus helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Some of the things I've learned from these guys include planning for my tax bills, managing finances with your partner, making a balanced budget, saving on travel, planning for some retirement, and boosting my credit score. If these things sound interesting to you, make sure that you listen to NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. These are selfish interests that actually work toward the common good. And their selfish interests worked out to the common good. So I disagree, and I'm sorry that I'm, I'm getting really forceful with this. I disagree that you say it's their selfish interest. Of course. Of course it is. But that doesn't mean it's bad. And now a word from our sponsor, Audible. One of the biggest reasons I'm a podcaster, because I just don't like to be sitting down watching YouTube, watching TV shows and movies. I like to be on the go, my headphones on, getting the knowledge or learning about the things that I want to learn about while I'm doing things. Some of my favorite books are Thinking Fast and Slow, The Power of Habit, and Contact by Carl Sagan. And that's why I like Audible. Why Audible? Because Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com, that's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash crypto and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash crypto or text crypto to 500-500. That's text crypto to 500-500. Get started today and let us know what you're listening to. Now back to the show. BitGuild's mission is to completely redefine the relationship between players and developers by facilitating full and true ownership of in-game assets, cheap and safe item trading, and cross-game compatibility of items, currency, and more. For gamers, maintain full ownership and control of your virtual items through the BitGuild wallet. Sell and trade items and currencies at will anytime, anyplace. Safely, securely, cheaply, sometimes even free. And for developers, it's a direct link to an established player base with a strong community, an instant network of like-minded developers building for the same platform. BitGill's token sale is now live. It started on March 15th, 2018 and goes until April 5th, 2018. So head to bitguild.io. That's B-I-T-G-U-I-L-D.io to learn more, get whitelisted, and take part of the public token sale. Now, back to the show. Let's, how about this? How about this angle? How about we have the average person, and let's have them rent an Airbnb, and let's say without Airbnb, the middleman to say, "Hey, you get a refund." Hey, this was not right from one side or the other. Let's say I remember the last situation I told you was bed bugs in my Airbnb in Taiwan. I had bed bugs, and I my arm got bitten up. It was like you know fifty, a hundred bites on my arm. And where would I go if this was a P2P? Would I complain? Would I read a, leave a comment? Could I get a refund? If I'm asking for a refund directly from this person that I'm hosting from with their bed bugs, <laughs> are they going to give it to me? Okay, mm-hmm. luckily I speak Mandarin, so I can communicate with them. Well, they're Mandarin speakers and I, don't, I speak English. Who's going to be the middleman? Who's going to be the translator? Now, since I'm in a foreign culture with a foreign language, what's, what's to prevent them to bring their friends over and say, hey, you know what? You're wrong. She's right. 
There's more of us than you. You just move on. So I think that there's a lot of other issues here with the middlemen. So again, let's go back to your ideas of freedom of speech, protecting the company, the middleman, arbitration, all these things. How does this look for the average consumer or the little guy? I'm not saying we shouldn't have some sort of method of arbitration uh, and that you shouldn't, there shouldn't be some mechanism for you to get a refund if you show up on Airbnb and get covered in bed bugs. I think that we can create protocols by having a smart contract being routed to, you know, some support center that's run by some centralized organization. And those people and the support team can make a call on whether to issue a refund and tell the smart contract whether to refund you and pull those funds out of a smart contract or not. Long term, that could go to some sort of community of people, um, maybe whether it's two or three hundred people who get to look at the message history of what was said and what was happening. You can post pictures of evidence and then could vote on that and say, no, we're, we're going to vote on in Matthew's favor in this case. And we're going to, you know, return those funds and, and you can leave that reference that, you know, about your experience. So I think these are real problems that we have to think about and tackle. Certainly, I wouldn't want to stay in, in some sort of Airbnb or home share if there wasn't some sort of thought around what happens if and when things go wrong. You know, I agree with that. And I, I really like the idea of the people voting and all that stuff, too. I think everybody that's listening to this podcast right now needs to go back and listen to Origin Protocol and the chat with Joy Krug of Augur to understand how these platforms are going to work when you're you're staking your reputations and your reputation is actually something tied up in a smart contract, a coin. So you can't just leave a comment willy-nilly. You have to stake your reputation, your coin, some value in order to leave that on there. And then that's voted on by the, either the outcomes or consensus of the network or what have you. So a lot of things that, are, that Josh is talking about right now, you need to have a base of understanding about those two ideas, Augur and Origin Protocol. We can't fill that in right now, but I just want them to go back and listen to those so they understand like, yes, this is actually a, an amazing idea to stake reputation. But with that said, you used a term there that was very uncomfortable for me. You said they're going to have to make a call to offer a refund or not. And that is essentially what Uber did with that tweet. They made a call and people are making a call. Now, it doesn't matter if you distribute that call through a thousand people or a centralized organization, that call is being made and that call is centralized. So therefore, we are already in the same place as before. It doesn't matter if you're staking a reputation or not. All you have to do is get enough people to rally behind you. I, I think there's there's ways, you know, you, you have to be careful in how you design these protocols to make sure that people can't cheat, right? That you can't, you know, game it and make sure that, you know, all your buddies are the arbitrators. But I think there's ways we, we can solve that. But there's a huge difference between having sort of this fairly chosen jury that gets to decide. I mean, this is, you know, why we have juries. And if you find yourself in court, you can ask for a jury instead of just a decision of a, of a judge. And you have that right. And even right. if it's something as small as a speeding ticket, you have that right to ask for that jury because that's a, a fundamentally different in distributing that decision. I'm, I'm still not convinced. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Josh. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and again, I just want to tell the listeners that Josh and I picked these sides on purpose. It, we could argue both sides, but we just want to argue these sides. So please don't hold any of us against our, our ideas. But I'm still not convinced because we say you can create a protocol. You can, say, you can create a smart contract to arbitrate these ideas. And that's the thing. You can't. 
I, and I'm still not convinced, and I haven't heard from you, why you think we can. And I understand that Origin Protocol is the railroad tracks to have these rail cars of Airbnb and, and dApps built upon, you know, in this, in this kind of uh, sharing economy system. But I am still confused, not understanding how I'm going to be protected as a consumer. I am still not understanding how a smart contract can fill in the common sense of communication with the middle person. For example, my situation with the bed bugs. I called Airbnb. I explained to them. We got in a group call with the landlord. It was a system of understanding each other's points of view and what happened. This wasn't a if Matt stays there and gets bed bugs, then he gets refunded his money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I think so. So first of all, I'll be first to admit, so much of it at this point, actually, you know, it's, it's theoretical, right? We have all these ideas. I think we have some good thesis around this on how it would work or why it would work. But to be fair, this hasn't been tested. None of us is in production. No one's using it. All they are are ideas, and we'll have to see whether this will work or not. But I do think that there are ways of doing decentralized arbitration of when an issue comes up, you know, there's some some way that you can report that. You could send a message from some application that would talk to a smart contract. That smart contract would find perhaps people all over the world who are being paid as arbitrators where they would be able to, you know, be looped in, whether on a on a voice call or just looking through the text history of what's what's going on, and would be able to, you know, get full context on your situation and make a decision. So yeah, it's there's people behind it. It's not the smart contract that would be making that determination. We're still relying on human judgment. But the big difference here is that the rules of the game are all open and fair and transparent, and everyone knows exactly how the rules of the game, everyone knows that no one's cheating. And that's what we, you know, we don't have that in these centralized models where what happens, the decision that's made, is completely at the mercy of that corporate ruler and whatever they decide they want to do in that case. And it's not, you don't have those open and fair and transparent rules that we are able to get in, a, in this new decentralized world. You know, I, I really agree, I agree with you to an extent with that, is that this transparency of how things are governed, and I hope this goes to a lot more places of government to corporations to sharing economies. I think I think that's amazing to have this on the blockchain where it's immutable. You could just see, everybody understands. This is the rules. But with that... Be, I, and, the, and the question is, is where, where this goes, right? So... Right now, Airbnb, you're okay with it being opaque and not seeing the rules because you feel like they're going to treat you fairly. But part of this is future-proofing. What if Airbnb starts making arbitrary rules where they look at you and say, you know what, Like we haven't made enough money off of this Matthew guy, so we're just going to say tough luck and we're not going to do anything. Right? You're, you're okay with it now, but like there's a, there could be a point where they say, well, yeah, he doesn't have that big an audience, he, you know, the impact, he doesn't seem to have that many friends on Twitter or Facebook. Um, we're just not going to treat him as well as a customer. We've already seen companies that are doing this, right? right. Where they're tailoring their customer support different levels based on how big of an audience you have, right? And so I think, like, that's not how we want these new marketplaces to run, where, you know, we want those open and fair and transparent rules where everyone is playing by the same rules, and there's no question about whether it's fair or not. 
You might not agree with the outcome, but you agree that the process by which you got there was fair. Just like when a jury trial doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get the right outcome every time or you're going to like it, but at least everyone can agree that it wasn't just some dude up there in a, in a robe that made that decision. It was this jury of your peers that made that decision. And you can at least say the process by which we got to this decision was fair. I just want to say two things, uh, two comments to what you said. First, it goes back a little bit. And you say that this kind of uh, P2P was never done before. And I think that it was. Craigslist, eBay did this before. And why didn't Craigslist become the hotspot for the sharing economy, even though they started out with it? It's because there is no centralized place to create the arbitration and the rules. The market didn't want it for the most part because there was lack of trust. And no matter how much transparency you're going to put on the blockchain and say, hey, if you get bed bugs, then you get a refund, you're not going to have that trusted community brand marketing outreach that Airbnb and Uber have because the market doesn't want it. And it was proven with Craigslist and eBay. Craigslist is still a massive site today and is still the leader in classifieds. But I think they, you know, they weren't peer-to-peer, -peer, right? There was still Craigslist for company that is sitting between you and the other people, right? Of course. Well, not really. You know, they, I mean, how, how does that work? I mean, you, you put your – say, you know, look, not from, it, not it from works a, great Not from a financial perspective, but from a flow of information perspective. Well, I mean, right? not really, so right? I, if, I mean, you put your oh, – it's well, like no, you put I your mean, boombox up there and say, hey, I want 20 bucks for it. And then somebody says, hey, I'll take your boombox for 20 bucks, and you bought a boombox. So, so try and say, you know, put up a, a Craigslist posting saying, you know, selling heroin and see how long that listing lasts, right? Well, obviously, you know, it's a bad yeah. thing, dude. You don't want no, to be no, selling no, no, heroin on Craigslist. Saying, I mean, saying, you know this shit ain't good. Saying, you want to go to the dude. That's a centralized server. If it was truly peer-to-peer, -peer, there wouldn't be some arbitrator in the middle deciding what can and can't be listed. But see, this is my whole point, that this is the, the middleman is a good thing most of the time, even if it's in selfish reasons. Having somebody sitting there say you can't put heroin on a, on a Craigslist is a good thing. It helps. Even if it's selfish, it helps society. <laughs> we may have to agree to disagree on that one. All right, I, man. <laughs> See, I'm 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 okay with that. I just I just feel that just because somebody says well, it's it's in my selfish interest doesn't mean that it's not in the in everybody else's interests. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, the company acted in their own interest. Of course, they acted in their own interest. When I'm mining Bitcoin, I'm acting in my interest. When I'm trading my Bitcoin, I'm acting in my interest. And it doesn't mean that my interest doesn't help out the guy that bought my Bitcoin or the confirmations on the network that happened because I'm I'm, I'm running a full node. It doesn't that, that doesn't mean anything. So I, I we can agree to disagree, but there. I, I think we. <laughs> so I think there, there's if you know there, there may be a place for saying there's certain types of goods or services that don't belong in this network, right? It might be if we are going to say no heroin on the network, then that should be decided and enforced in a, in a fair and open and transparent way versus some, you know, centralized entity that is making those decisions and trying to make those calls. We have this challenge that blockchain doesn't respect borders and as we create these new marketplaces which are running on smart contracts and governed by that and governments have their own laws and regulations about what is and isn't allowed there's real challenges on on how you even enforce that sort of stuff right well josh i don't think we're any closer to agreeing <laughs> about this um and i don't know if there's anything to agree or to disagree on i think that this is an amazing exciting space Exciting time to see how dApps 
and the blockchain just move these different economies or create different economies out of nowhere? And these are real questions and real conversation we have. And you know what? The thing that everybody should get out of this conversation, it's that... (laughs) We need to have these conversations to figure out as a people, as a, as, a, as a community, what do we want out of this new technology? And if we don't know what we want out of this new technology and have those conversations, then the technology is going to dictate that for us. Agreed or disagree? I agree. Josh, and you know, I just want to say that it must be kind of very hard for you, though. Before we go, I just want to say that it must be very hard for you because there's a balance. And I know how hard it is to have an opinion, to be an idea leader and create technology that's going to change the way we approach these conversations and yet still launch a product in a company and try to keep those ideas within a relatable brand so people invest and support your company yet still have these hard conversations. Origin Protocol is not your traditional company. We're not building this in the same way. It's completely open source where it's not, you know, we're trying to create marketplaces which are, you know, we're trying to get rid of the middlemen. We're trying to get rid of those people who have too much power. And so what we we really believe that what we're creating here is too important for any one entity, government or company or individual to own or control, including us. And so we're trying to create these marketplaces which are governed by these sets of fair and open and transparent rules Mm -hmm. versus the whims of of corporate rulers. And so we're coming at it from a very different perspective than typical businesses um, that are just focused on, you know, sort of their own corporate interests. We're trying to create something and then sort of release it into the world. And I understand that. And then once you create something and release it into the world, I guess your creation is going to have a lot of this ideology on it. My question is, with opinions and ideologies, do you think that what if those ideas and ideologies affect the implementation of the adoption of origin protocol? Do you think that's even possible? I think we're... You understand my question, though, right? I think so, yeah. So what if if we end up hurting the adoption because of the way that we're taking it? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I think this this goes back to the question of how we're building this, right? We're not building this uh, and retaining all of the control for ourselves. This is an open source project. If people don't like it, they can actually fork it. They can take it in a new direction. And when you think about forking, there's sort of two different things that you have to fork. The first one is the technology, right? So that's the easy part, right? There's a You can fork our code with one click on GitHub, and now you've got a clone of our code. And the second thing you have to fork is a community, and that's a lot harder, right? Because you've got to convince people that the other way is, is more important and that approach is better. But if you can convince enough people that, you know, Josh and Matt are idiots, their, their approach where they, you know, put free speech and personal liberties first, that's stupid. And someone forks it and says, you know, we've got a much more centralized version of Origin where we have a, a central dictator set up who makes all these calls and we'll get Matthew a fresh bed and a nice new Airbnb without bed bugs. They're free to do that. And so I think no matter what, we're trying to move the ball down the field. We're trying to introduce these ideas into the world. And we'll have to see, right? If people agree with us and want to uh, be a part of that, they'll use it. And if they don't, someone else is going to come along. They're going to tweak some stuff. They're going to highlight the mistakes that we're making. And we'll see it fork off in some other direction. And that's okay, right? What if the anti-freedoms and liberties platform that forked from Origin win? What if that's what people want? People don't want choice. People want comfort. And in comfort, lack of choice gives them comfort. 
or the idea of lots of choice when there's no choice. Kind of like Coca-Cola having 40 fucking brands of, of soda pop. <laughs> but I'm still buying Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, I, I hope that doesn't happen. Obviously, we're going to work really, really hard because we think that free speech and personal liberties are really important. I really have faith that people are going to agree with us and they're going to value the open and fair, transparent marketplace, which doesn't charge them fees and isn't being censored or being with censors, and that people want to be part of this new and open network. But we'll see. We will see. We'll see. Josh, do you have any closing statements about Origin Protocol or the P2P business, the sharing economy? Um, yeah, if you want to learn more, like Matthew said, check out our last podcast where we talked a little bit more in depth about what we're up to. And you can also learn more on our website at originprotocol.com. Uh, Matthew, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me back. It's great to debate these things with you. Yeah, I think we probably have more in common uh, than we let on um, <laughs> as we talk about it. Certainly our, our feelings towards you know, uh, <laughs> on a lot of these issues, we're, we're, we're actually on, on the same side, but it's fun to debate it and, and talk about this stuff. I agree. I agree. I know we were on the same side and I'm 100% for freedom of speech and the right to say it. And I think that that is very important to protect that no matter what. Um, all right, Josh, we'll talk to you later. And thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101 and having this chat with us. Yeah, thanks so much, Matthew. All right, brother. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. If you have any opinions about any of the things that we're talking about in this episode, come over to our Facebook page. Let's have a discussion about P2P, smart contracts, the middleman, freedom of speech, what have you. All of these ideas are affecting how blockchain and blockchain companies are built and what they're going to do and how they're going to perform in the future. So these are important conversations to have. Anyway, we'll see you on the Facebook page for more conversation. And thank you for listening. This is Matthew Aaron with Crypto 101. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.